We're going to be continuing in our sermon series on Prologue to the Messiah, uh, especially as we step into this Advent time. We're going to be discussing different prophecies as we're moving closer and closer to Christmas that proclaim about Christ's arrival. And today we're talking about the coming of a, a messenger, someone who comes beforehand and proclaims that one is coming, right? So in Malachi 3.1, we see this. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So when Malachi is prophesying about the coming day of the Lord, whenever this messianic figure, this Christ-like figure shows up, he tells about that there's going to be someone who comes beforehand and proclaims that this is happening, right? Isaiah does the same thing. In Isaiah, he says this. In 40, uh, verse 3 through 5, he says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So one of the prophecies that occurs in the Old Testament about Jesus coming is the fact that there will be a messenger who comes beforehand who proclaims that he's going to be coming, right? And guess what? There's a messenger who comes and proclaims he's going to be coming, right? In Luke 1, 67 through 80, and yes, that's a long chapter. They've got 67 separate verses up to 80 separate verses in it. That's a long one. I'm not reading the whole chapter. I'm going to read a section of it. This is a prophecy from a man named Zechariah who is having a child who's going to be that messenger. So Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before all our days. And you, child, speaking to the child his wife is going to have, oh no, speaking to the, yep, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways and to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Right? So Zechariah is talking about John the Baptist, who's going to come and proclaim Christ. This is John's message. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Directly quoting Isaiah 40. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Uh, skip 29, sorry. In 29, whenever Jesus shows up, John looks at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He proclaims him. Right? Get that part first. So, as we are walking through this, some things that are probably wondering here: what What does this matter, right? What are our key takeaways 
for a prophecy like this. And it's the same basic one that you can from literally any prophecy in the Old Testament. Let me just read you my basic takeaways here, which are the same for every piece of prophecy. Here are the obvious ones. God is in control. He knows what he's doing. Nothing is accidental. Jesus is the Messiah who has to come. Duh, right? That's prophetic takeaway. When you're trying to look at prophecy and see what Jesus is doing, or what's happening in, in whatever the Old Testament is pointing out something in the news, those are your takeaways. God knew what he was doing beforehand. It's really kind of obvious, right? Duh. Hey guys, whenever a prophecy points out who Jesus is, what are our takeaways from it? Oh, God knows what he's doing. He's in control. Right? Nothing is accidental. Jesus is the Messiah. Good. Good. Have a good day. Bye. All right, we're done. No. So, I'm going to be honest. I was reading through this, and as I start reading through prophecies, eventually you get to the ones that are like, okay, cool, someone's going to show up beforehand. Got it. Lots of people have heralds who come beforehand, right? This prophecy is not a giant one that we can be all like, oh, obviously, that means that Jesus is the Christ, because everyone has people show up and be like, hey, this dude's cool. I could get someone to do that here. Jake, come be my hype man. Where are you? No? Just in general. I need one. Never mind. All right. It's okay. I'm fine. I lied. Stay back there. Right? I like it. Wave a towel. I appreciate it. This one is just one of a multitude of prophecies that point out Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did, right? There are so many more that you can pull from any of them, and this is what you're pointing to. Jesus is who he said he is. Sweet. So what do we actually do with this? Well, here are some very basic ones. We know that there was going to be a messenger who came to proclaim who Jesus is and what he was doing, right? That's who John was. He proclaimed Jesus and proclaimed his message even before he came and proclaimed the fact that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who brings salvation. Obvious, right? What do we do with that? What does it matter? So here are my other takeaways that are kind of completely unrelated to the general takeaways I gave you already. So here's some very basic ones. First one is this. One, whenever Jesus is going to be returning again, there's going to be some witnesses who come beforehand and proclaim him, right? So it seems like whenever he was coming the first time, a witness came and proclaimed him. When he's coming back, a witness will come and proclaim him. And guess what? Even now, before he comes back the second time, there are witnesses who proclaim him. Do you know who that is? Right now. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the, Lord was, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion, right? In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until the day he comes. There was a witness who came before him and spoke about his public ministry. There are going to be witnesses who come and proclaim of his arrival the second time he returns and remakes the world into perfection. And he has witnesses now who proclaim his death until he comes. Who are those witnesses? You, me, us, followers of Jesus. You are his witnesses who proclaim him. It's actually kind of cool if you think about it. You have the privilege and responsibility of bearing the same message that John the Baptist bore. 
that there is one who comes who is greater than you. There is one who is here who is better than you could ever be and I could ever be. Who you don't even have the right to take his shoe off. He is so good. And that person loves you and loves me and died for you and died for me that I could have a relationship with him and the Father. That's a big message. It's a wonderful one that has been entrusted to us to carry on throughout history. Literally every person in this room who believes Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did, you are the result of someone being willing to proclaim that. Whether in writing through scripture or through spoken word by someone who sat down and talked to you and proclaimed it or by your parents who told you about Jesus when you were young, you are a result of someone being willing to proclaim that. Everyone who currently is alive who doesn't know Jesus, that is going to know Jesus, will do so because of someone being willing to proclaim him to them. Guess who has that responsibility? You and me, everybody. You and me. So a couple things you might be thinking about this. You proclaim him until you return, until he returns. Uh, you want a really easy takeaway on this one? You should probably know who and what you're proclaiming. That's an easy one, right? You want a very easy takeaway from Scripture? Uh, if you are called to proclaim Jesus, you should probably know Jesus. If you're called to proclaim his message, you should probably know his message. Ta-da! Read your Bibles. Takeaway, you're welcome. I'm great at this. I give the best applications. Believe Jesus, read your Bible. No one has ever heard those before? Chris, do originals. No? All right. And you might also be saying something like this. You know what? I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about Jesus. I don't know enough about what it means to be a follower of his to ever be able to tell someone about him. Who has ever felt that way? I just don't know enough. Right? So, interesting fact. John the Baptist was a dude who, from a very early age, dressed up in camel's hair, went out into the middle of the wilderness and ate locusts, and began to yell about this dude who was coming. How much knowledge do you think John the Baptist had? How much really good education? How much... Uh, Bible lessons has he gotten in his life. How often do you think John the Baptist had the ability to read the Bible? And an honest answer to this one? Basically zero, right? Books didn't last in the desert, folks. He didn't have any out there with him. He didn't have a library just wandering with him. He's wandering in the desert. Dude was relying on the Holy Spirit and what he knew. What he'd been told from when he was younger. The disciples generally were illiterate. They did not know how to read. They did not know how to, uh, they had not been trained in how to study in the way that we've been trained to study. They had the Holy Spirit, the time they had with Jesus, and their common sense. You have a greater capacity to learn than the disciples did. They didn't have a Bible with them 24-7. They didn't have a smartphone they could Google anything they want. They didn't have access to the libraries of the world through things like the Project Gutenberg. 
they didn't have the blessings we have. To say, I am not smart enough to say the lessons they said is basically to just say, I'm not willing to spend the time to know it. Are you willing to? Yeah. Good news as well, you don't have to be perfect at this. Who here has actually read through the Gospels at some point? Yeah. Who here has actually read through and just realized how dumb the disciples are sometimes? Yeah. I love the book of Luke particularly for this because as you read through the Gospel of Luke, basically the stories they tell about the disciple are ways in which they're idiots. Fun, really fun thing in this. There actually is a pretty big comparison between them between the disciples who were idiots and the women who followed Jesus who actually got it. It's really a kind of fun dichotomy if you read through the Gospel of Luke. It's fun. Uh, so ladies, good. All right, good to know. Right? Basically, the disciples were idiots and said and did dumb things all the time and argued about stuff like who's the best. Hey, I'm the best right? I'm just the best. They misunderstood who Jesus was. They misunderstood the things he said. They didn't get his stories, and they proclaimed him. Do you know why they were able to do so? One, he gave them permission to, and he gives you permission to, to proclaim him even in imperfection. You're not going to perfectly be able to explain who Jesus is because we as people are not big enough to understand it perfectly. But you can explain it in an imperfect way. Please feel free to do so. And also, you have this wonderful person who indwells you and fills you and gives you knowledge and understanding and who can give you greater than what you could ever possibly have. And this person is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, right? The Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Christ, has sealed you as his and indwells you and gives you abilities beyond your own understanding. Uh, this is why sometimes, whenever people are talking, uh, have you guys ever, as a follower of Jesus, have you ever been sitting with someone and praying with them and they are hurting and you're talking to them and then for some reason you just know the thing they need to hear to let them know that they are loved by God that they are cared for and known but you had no reason to know that's what they needed to hear that's because you have a Holy Spirit who indwells you who understands perfectly who you are and who they are and what they need to hear he indwells you and fills you with hope and love and goodness and knowledge and wisdom and mercy. You have something far greater than you can possibly imagine. Jesus said it's better for his disciples if Jesus goes because one who is coming after him will be better for them. It's better for them if Jesus leaves because the Holy Spirit coming is better for them. It is better for you to have the Holy Spirit now than if you could walk with Jesus perfectly now without the Holy Spirit. Is that a crazy concept? It seems like it, but it's true. Jesus said it. 
I don't know why, but the person that I'm talking to online, sadly, they were just staring at the top of that cross the whole time because that's where I had the camera set. So they saw nothing besides every now and then the top of my head showing up. Lucky people. I'm not smart enough is not an excuse. You don't need perfect knowledge. You need Holy Spirit. And here's the other one, guys, which is kind of interesting. It's one I'm trying to work on as a person because I am bad at it. But what you need as well is passion for who Jesus is and what he's done. John was a passionate man. Kind of have to be to be able to be willing to go out into the middle of the desert and just yell. I would need to be very passionate to give up all food besides locusts, obviously. I would need to be very passionate to wear camel's hair. I'm assuming that's uncomfortable. Camels don't strike me as the softest of mammals. He was passionate to go and be where he was supposed to be and do what he's supposed to do. Do you have passion for Jesus and what he said and what he's done? Are you passionate about the fact that he loves you and cares for you and has overcome your sin that you might have relationship with him? Are you passionate about the fact that he is so, so good that we can't even begin to comprehend it? And are you passionate about the fact that he offers his righteousness to you and your friends and your family and your co-workers and the acquaintances you walk by and everybody? He Jesus is passionate about you. Are you passionate about him? Who here has ever dated someone for the first time? All right, been there. And you really like that person. And they're super cool. And they're just the best in the world. In their acid wash jeans. In their curled out hair with the bangs rim classes. I grew up in the 90s. Right. Or perhaps shift to the other crowd in your Jenko jeans. No? Your wallet chains. No? And you start dating this person. Then you go to talk to one of your friends. And what's basically the only thing you talk about until they're sick about it? That person, right? Yeah. Who here has been a parent for the first time? Who here has been around someone who's been a parent for the first time? What do they talk about? Right. And nothing else. Right? I've been that person, guys. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, great. My kid's awesome. No, how are you doing? The kids are great. What do you want to do today? Well, my kids have to do this. Uh, you as a person. Who are you? Your entire identity is subsumed into your children for a while, right? Until you realize that they're cool and let them go and be you again. From what I can tell, it takes about 15 years. I'm not there yet. You're passionate about your kids, and you want to talk about them. And they take up a large portion of your life and your brain power and your mind, and that's what comes out whenever you're thinking. Just naturally furloughs from who you are and in your heart, right? Who is passionate about certain topics? Do you like cooking? Do you like playing music? Do you like worship? Do you like uh, playing organ? Huh? Spices? Who is passionate about spices? Have a conversation with Lauren. You will talk about spices. Tell me about turmeric. What is, what is turmeric? What is it? Turmeric. Turmeric. Really? 
whatever. She likes turmeric. Turmeric. I'm going to say it wrong forever just to bother you. If you're passionate about something, you talk about that thing. Whenever I went to Alliance and was planting a church in Alliance, I don't know if I can explain to you how many conversations I had about tractors and guns. Do you know why I had all those conversations about tractors and guns? Because the people there were passionate about their tractors and guns, and they wanted to talk about them. And I like hearing things people are passionate about, so I'm like, cool, tell me more about that. Nope, don't know what you're talking about. Keep going. I want to hear more, right? Because I don't know anything about that sort of stuff. You talk about the things you're passionate about, right? You should probably be passionate about Jesus. You'll talk about him. I don't feel passionate about Jesus, you might be saying into your brain. I don't feel passionate about the gospel. I don't feel passionate about God or church or anything religious. Been there. Very much so. You know, he can ask about that and talk to about it and say, hey, allow me to be more passionate. Jesus. Pray about it and ask for passion. If you're paralyzed by fear, this is what I'm trying to say here, guys. John was a messenger, and the witnesses are messengers. You're a messenger. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're one who proclaims him to the world until it's coming. You do so through your very lives. Do the people you regularly interact with know that? Do your coworkers know that you are called to proclaim Jesus? Do your friends know that you're called to proclaim Jesus? Does your family know that you're called to proclaim Jesus? And if the answer to that is no, the next question on your brain should probably be, should they? I'll tell you this, if you truly read Jesus' words and heard the things he said and understood what he was talking about, about how much we need him and how much the world needs him, if you got that completely, you would be passionate about making sure those around you know it because you would realize your need for him and how much he offers you and you would want them to know their need for him and how much he offers them. Does that make sense? You might be paralyzed by fear. You might be scared. I don't know what I would say or do. I don't know how people would respond to me. I don't know if I'll lose friends over this or if my family will want to stop talking to me. I don't know. And so I'm scared. I think it's probably worth thinking about is what's more important their relationship with you or their relationship with Jesus which would be more important if you're so scared about losing your relationship with someone that you're unwilling to tell them about the one who offers them salvation you're basically saying my relationship with that person is more important than their relationship with Jesus doesn't mean be unwise. 
So it's me walking over. Hey, who are you? Hi. Nice to know you. I'd like to tell you. Let me. Have you heard about Jesus? Just checking. Have you heard about Jesus? No. Hey. Hey, what's going on? Hello, cashier. Have you heard about Jesus? Like you have to be wise and recognize the fact that there are some people who will be able to hear and some people who you say that to who will be pushed further away from them just because, you know, people are pushy and it's annoying. But if you love someone and they love you and you trust someone and they trust you and they understand that you would never say anything out of a want to hurt them or harm them or just change them, but you want them to know something that is very important, don't be afraid to tell them. So here are my real takeaways. You proclaim Jesus with your words, with your actions, with everything you say and do. Are you proclaiming him well? If you're not, is it because you feel afraid? Is it because you feel ashamed? Is it because you feel unprepared? If you're afraid, you don't need to fear. He's with you. If you're ashamed, you don't need to be. He took on the most shame ever so that we wouldn't have to live ashamed. If you feel unprepared or like you don't know what you're supposed to say, good news. You could learn. And it's worth learning. And we have the privilege and the pleasure and the awesome responsibility carrying Christ to a world who needs him as much as we do. So that is my takeaway. Go tell people about him. Amen.